Let me, uh, can you all hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Is it getting better? Can you hear me now? I don't want to sound like a telephone commercial, but can you hear me? Uh, I don't think they can hear me. Hello, hello. Hello. Well, yeah, yeah, you guys upstairs can hear me, but they can't hear me. Right? So they're, they're satisfied. They just, they're glad to be able to hear me, but none of you can hear me. So I don't want to have to shout, even though I probably will. Can you hear me now? Okay. All right. Y'all can hear me now? (laughs) They got it right. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, Question. Can you all see these screens? You you can. Can you see this one all right? Is it a little hard? You'd have to probably put yourselves where you can see something. So you're going to have to see these scriptures and stuff tonight. Just a little rough. You know, we don't like to tear down the the, uh, uh, Vacation Bible School set and it's that's a really nice set this year, and so they've done a beautiful job. We're excited. We got uh, yesterday. We had 182 kids. I think we had more today. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Does anybody know if we did? No, we have more. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. You know, I always I, we've gotten close to 300 at times. So I'm thinking, well, we're a little bit less than that. But you know what? That's what's important is that the ones that are here are being ministered to, they're being taken care of, uh, they're being taught and encouraged uh, in the Word of God. And it's just a joy to see all the activity. Uh, sometimes I think, you know, it would be nice to see it happen every day. And then I thought, no, not every day. Uh, it, it's really a lot of noise and stuff going on. And that's exciting, you know, for a week. But we got, oh, we got work to do here too, you know. So, But it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, keep praying. Don't don't stop praying for uh, for the kids. Don't stop praying for the uh, the staff. And don't don't stop praying for the volunteers and, and for what God is going to do to their families. Because you know that's as I said this weekend. That that's what we're praying about is is that these young lives, these little lives, will will affect all the families of of, of friends and and uh, neighbors and and all that we've brought here. You know, this is an outreach. Just like this coming Friday is going to be an outreach on the west side at uh, Grace Gardens for, for uh, Pancho Juarez. Uh, and that's going to be from 6 to 9 on, uh, on Friday evening. And, um, well, I, I was told that it could be almost at 10 o'clock or possibly after that. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that's, that's okay too, you know. But uh, it's going to be exciting, a lot of music, a lot of... Uh, the Gutierrez brothers are going to be there. They've been here before, and, and they've really blessed us uh, with their music. And, uh, uh, and then Pancho's going to preach, so it's, it's just a wonderful time. So prepare for that. Um, if you have any questions as to where Grace Gardens is, it's the far west side of El Paso. and uh, You can look it up on the, the Internet, and you can get a map from there, or else call the office, and we'll try to help you out. We don't want to send you to the wrong place, you know, once you... I want you to go to the right place. So, 
But anyway, that's going to be this weekend as well. So this Friday, that's day after tomorrow. Okay, let's turn to Revelation chapter 9. I don't see, the reason I wanted you all to be able to see what's up there is that underneath Revelation 9 verses 1 through 12, it says introduction. So this is just an introduction to verses 1 through 12. And, and my, my prayer is we get to verse 1. You know, but uh, I think you'll understand why uh, I've chosen to to have this particular chapter uh, have such a, a necessary introduction to it. We've been in chapter eight now, a couple of weeks, looking at the first four of the trumpet judgments. And as we move on into the scriptures, we're realizing that the judgments themselves, from the seal judgments that were opened by Jesus in heaven, that kind of got the ball rolling as it were, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which actually is interesting, those four uh, uh, judgments, the deception of a, of a world leader, uh, war, famine, and, and, of course, death. All of that affected pretty much what we're seeing affected in the first four trumpets. The, the earth, you know, the, all the things that directly affect us, but in many cases indirectly the judgment uh, is coming to us. Uh, but as we get to the fifth trumpet here in chapter 9, it was introduced to us by one verse, the verse previous to this, the, the last verse of chapter 8, with a woe, actually three woes, that were pronounced by the messenger, with either an angel or an eagle, but that said, woe, woe, woe. Now, for those of you that are a, a little familiar with, with Hebrew, uh, you've probably heard Jewish people say, oi, Oy vey, oy gewalt, which means, oh my God, what is going on here? Oy is really the word that means grief. And uh, it's interesting that it translates over to the Greek the very same way. So in the Greek it's oy, 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 oy. But it's not a funny matter. It's pretty heavy. These next three judgments are very heavy. These are judgments that are going to come upon the earth and upon man specifically. Not from heaven so much as from hell. Our focus and our perspective now changes somewhat. Because we've been seeing everything from, from heaven in, since, since chapter 4. Of course, there's, you know, the glances that, that John, you know, has been taken up to heaven and looking down and seeing all these things happen. But now our attention is drawn to hell and the bottomless pit. So it becomes a very serious matter, much more serious now. And I'm not saying that the first eight chapters weren't serious. They were very serious. 
But the judgments are increasing. And we better get serious. We better get serious with the Lord. So I would encourage you tonight. And I think that it would be wise for us to even begin in prayer. You know, we, Sean prayed a little earlier and I've gone straight into this, uh, into this particular study or any, any study for that matter. But we just need to pray. Let's do that. Father, this evening we stand before you and we sit before you. Realizing, Lord God, the heaviness of the judgments that we're about to look at, but we have to be reminded of a few things dealing with the one who is being given the permission to bring about these judgments. And get an idea, Lord God, of how we on this earth, both those who do not believe you and those of us who do, still need to take seriously the fact that we're living in the, in the last days, in the end times, and, and that as we read more and more into your book of Revelation, that the burdens continue to increase. And the, the images of judgment begin to be more graphic. So how we need you, Lord God, to help us to understand these things and not only help to stir our hearts, but help, help us to stir the hearts of others. Those of our brothers and sisters who are not here, who to some extent are not taking seriously the, the fact that things can happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. certainly at the last trump. But we pray, Father, that you will give us wisdom and understanding, and that's what we ask for. Anoint us with your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So let's begin in verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall on, from heaven to the earth, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And by the way, I know that in the King James it says a star fall. I saw a star fall. But it is more correct in the literal sense because of the perfect tense that it's in that it says, and I saw a star fallen. And I'll explain that in a moment. But it's very important that we see that. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like a, the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes man. In those days, 
men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Verses 2 through 5, or 2 through 6, I read, we won't get the sense of those until next time. But I wanted to read them because I wanted to see the, the beginnings of this particular judgment. And you'll notice how it is affecting man directly, not indirectly. The other four judgments all affected man indirectly in a sense because it was directed toward the grass, toward the earth, toward the water in the seas, and toward the, the, the drinking water. But uh, back in, in 1969, the jazz rock group known as Blood, Sweat, and Tears recorded a song that became a huge hit for them. It was a song that was written by uh, Laura Nairo. It was entitled, And When I Die. It was kind of a, it wasn't a sad song in essence. It kind of had a kind of a interesting beat to it. But nonetheless, in that song were these lyrics. Now troubles are many, they're deep as a well. But notice this next line. I can swear there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell. Swear there ain't no heaven and I pray there ain't no hell, but I'll never know by living, only my dying will tell. Man, for years and years, and of course I remember that song because I was around in 1969 actually. How many of you were around 1969? Come on, admit it. Wow, more than I thought. Okay, good. Some of you though were like infants, right? A lot of us were not. <laughs> But well, he used to sing that song, and, and I always had problems when I got to that part because, you know, I was brought up to believe there was a heaven and there was a hell. But you begin to you you begin to realize, you know, that this this was a philosophy, an idea, or an ideal for man to say, you know, we've gone through a couple of world wars, and we're we're in another war right now, in the you know in the uh, the jungles of Vietnam and, and we've already been in Korea and, and you know, it's about time all of this stops and, and so we need a new philosophy of things. Things are working in, as the status quo. So we need, a, we need to kind of help peace out here and bring some peace ourselves, you know. But, but see, part of the problem was that, that in all of that, because we saw so much of what we thought was hell on earth, there couldn't possibly be a hell for eternity. So there is this philosophy. I can swear there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell. We've seen enough. Nineteen seventy one, just a couple of years later, John Lennon, after the Beatles had broken up, he recorded and he co produced and he wrote the song Imagine. Recorded it. I'm sure you all know it. 
The lyrics, beginning with this statement. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. The next verse talks about, imagine there's, there's no countries or nations or borders in essence. I'm not quoting the whole song, but... And no religion either. Imagine there's no religion. I started looking up the, 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 the articles about, uh, that, that were done after, after he did this song and the interviews that he had had and, and, and people wanting to find out what did he mean by all of this stuff. And it was interesting that before he wrote this song, he was actually handed a, 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 pr- a Christian prayer book by a, a, an old uh, comedian named Dick Gregory. And out of that, he began to read through some of that. He thought, well, this would be a great prayer. But, you know, we don't need to pray to a God that, you know, we, 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 we uh, 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 fight over whose God is better or whose God or whatever. There's just, you know, we, we, that's the problem, you know. What we need to do is come down to realize there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no religion, there, there is no God better than anybody else's God. And he said these words, he said, what I'm really saying is that, that we need to have the right kind of communism here. Now, all of you know that grew up in the 60s that, that communism was godless. It's always godless. And so was the communism of, of John Lennon. But, but you see, what, what he was trying to say is, I don't like the communism of the Russians or the Soviets, and I don't like the communism of, of, the, uh, of, of the Chinese or, or of the North Koreans or of the North Vietnamese. You know, but, but I like communism because this way we can all be alike and we can all be the same and we can all kind of believe in, you know, bringing everything to where there's... But then I got, I got struck by the first word of the song, imagine. And it hit me. The more I considered this song and thought about it, it hit me. John Lennon wrote this in such a way to say, you have to imagine that there's no heaven and imagine that there's no hell or any of these things. Which implies one big thing. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And you have to imagine them away. But when you imagine them away, you also imagine God who created them. And everything that he stands for. And everything that Christ did to save us from hell and to take us to heaven. You have to imagine it all away. And it made me realize John Lennon did not know this, but he was helping to give reliability to the scriptures because in the book of Romans chapter 1, it tells us that all people know there's a God. All people know there's a God. There really are no atheists. In every person there is the knowledge that there is a God who created all things. You have to imagine it away or you have to really work hard at believing that it doesn't or he doesn't exist. And because of the revolution of that time, whether you want to call it the sexual revolution or or the idealistic revolutions of all that time, I'm sure there were a number of songs recorded over those years, especially within the last 50 years or so, that seemed to express the sentiment and even the hope that there can't possibly be a place called hell, a place of eternal torment after death. But the cost, you see, the cost of that would also include the existence of heaven. Heaven. 
And the kind of philosophy that I, I must say comes right out of the third chapter of the book of Genesis. Satan's hatred toward God. Satan's hatred toward God, toward God's creation, toward His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, His hatred toward God's Word, and His hatred especially, listen carefully, His hatred toward mankind was clearly articulated in Satan's statement made to Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. So turn there, please. We're going to do a lot of reviewing tonight of what we've studied in Genesis and what we've been kind of going through in the, in the scriptures about connecting the books of Genesis and Revelation together. And this is one of those areas that help us to see why we are in both books in our church. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And here it is, folks. This is the beginning of all the philosophies of secular humanism, atheism, agnosticism, and any other ism that can be lumped into this whole ideal of man. Here's the question. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? What's the first question that he fills with doubt? Did God really say? Calling God a liar. And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, poor Eve, she tried. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the trees, or I'm sorry, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you notice she didn't really say specifically which one, but she said, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, notice this, first of all, he says that God lies, and then he says something else. He says, you will not surely die. He offers Eve and Adam, by the way, who's standing there, don't menso. When he should have been, you know, the first one to say, hey, what's going on here? He's just kind of picking up on what's going on and just kind of listening, not doing anything. But, but, he, but he says, you shall not eat it. He's offering them an alternative. Which a lot of people are doing to God today. Offering him an alternative. We don't really like what the Word of God says, but let's give you an, an alternative, God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, can we bargain today? You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What a deception. They would know the difference between good and evil, leaning, of course, toward the evil side, because they have now disobeyed God when they do take of that fruit and eat it. 
But would they become like God? (laughs) In fact, they would die that very moment. The very moment that they ate of that fruit, because God does not lie. Because God is faithful. Because God is righteous. And because God is true. Now, this is what is called in Scripture, the lie. This is what is called in Scripture, the lie. Now, in some translations, it doesn't say the lie. For example, even in the King James, it says a lie. But the article that is used there really is the lie. Now, where, what I'm talking about is Second Thessalonians. So if you'll turn to Second Thessalonians. Because here again, we need to establish a foundation of understanding the very fact that there is a heaven and that there is a hell, that there is a demon uh, uh, entity, and there is one who oversees all of the demon entity, And that being is called Satan. In other words, there is a personal devil with a personality. Just as much as we have to preach that there is a personal God. There is a personal God. And there is a personal Savior. His name is Jesus. I hope you've come to know Him. I hope you realize the importance of coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I've got to keep doing this while we're going through the, the Word tonight because I, I want you to realize uh, none of this is, is, is joyous. I, I almost think that, you know, having this little owl over here and, and that, well, I don't know what that is, oh, that gecko, and, and just having this scene kind of softens things a little bit. If we didn't have this up here, man, I mean, you guys would be thinking I'm going to be coming down on you. I am, but, you know, this is going to make it nice and easier. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to come down on you. Tonight we need to come down on the enemy. We have an enemy. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? We've got to come down on the enemy. We've got to quit acting like, you know, you know things just happen because they happen. No, there, there's, there's a plan, there's a plot, there's, there's purposes also coming from God. So please understand, we have to make the distinctions here. So Paul says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Now I want you to notice some of the things that I've underlined. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. You see that underlined? Lying? Alright, what do we know about Satan? He's a... Liar. So the coming of the lawless one, who's the lawless one? Antichrist. Or the beast. Because the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. So the lawless one then we're talking about is the, the beast or the Antichrist. With all power signs and lying wonders. So the one who's coming according to the working of Satan is what? He's as much like Satan as Satan is. He's a liar. And it comes with all unrighteous what? Deception. He comes to deceive. He comes to put the wool, pull the wool over everybody's eyes. Make things appear a certain way 
so that he can get away with what he wants to do and destroying you. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Notice, among those who perish. If, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, are you going to perish? Are you going to perish? Of course not. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for our sins. But the enemy is going to do everything he can to get you to doubt that. And you cannot doubt that. You cannot doubt the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You cannot doubt the work of Jesus shedding his his whole, his whole body of blood, His blood, that was poured out as a sacrifice for the sins of men. And you cannot deny the fact that Jesus was buried and on the third day He rose again from the dead. I hate to say it, but even in the church today, there are people who do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They don't even believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. And I can't understand that. Because the word of God is clear. But what did the enemy say to all of these people who started getting into all of these newfound ways of trying to uh, understand theology? What did he say? Did God really say? Did God really say that? So he comes with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Do you know who that is? That's Jesus. In essence. But they did not receive the love of the truth. And folks, I want to ask you something that you need to answer for yourselves tonight. Do you love the truth of the Word of God? I mean, do you love the truth of the Word of God from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to the very last amen in the book of Revelation? Do you love the truth? Because I'll tell you this, we are today in a war. We are in a war for truth. And to some extent, as a, as a church of true believers in Jesus Christ, I'm not talking just about us, but every true believer in Jesus Christ, Somehow we feel, we, we sense that, that we're kind of losing that battle. Because in, in many churches today, truth isn't that important. I hate, it, I hate to say these things, but that's the way it is. Truth isn't that important. Other things are more important. No, making friends with the, you know, the neighborhood Buddhist and bringing him over to church and letting him explain what he believes so we can all kind of just be nice and, and friendly to each other. Now, as Christians, you know, we need to be friendly to the Buddhist. But we need to tell them about Jesus. I already know what they don't believe. And I really don't care much about what they do believe. Because what they do believe is the fact that there is no personal God, no one single God. They believe that they can become God themselves. Do I want them to come and tell us that here? We don't need that because we know that there is a God. And we know that there is a Savior. And we know what He has done for us, don't we? You know, I'm getting ready to feel like I'm just not going to finish this tonight. I think we've had to go back to Bible 101. But the enemy has come with unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
Do you take for granted or do you appreciate the fact that you are saved and in here tonight because someone shared the love of Christ with you and you received the Lord and you... It's as if I was, I was telling you the other day. Man, remember that day that you came to Christ. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that moment because that's your life for the rest of your life that connects you to an eternity with God. So notice in verse 11, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion. Wow! You know what delusion is? It's literally a false impression and and an illusion. You know, like an illusionist? Flight of hand? God sends them this. Because they've chosen not to believe the truth. They've chosen not to go in the direction of the truth. They've chosen not to love the truth. It's, it's as we've, we've said in time past where, where okay, we're going to say this, we're going to do this, and, and we do it enough. The Lord says, if that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. If all you're going to do is keep believing the lie, then this is the lie that you're going to get. And he sends them a strong delusion that they should believe what? The lie. What is that? What we just read in the first five verses of Genesis chapter 3. The lie. But notice this. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, there was a time when these verses could be preached and people became so fearful of their eternal life that they wept openly and cried out to God for mercy. Do people do that today? I don't think so. But I tell you this, we better cry out for mercy if we haven't already. If we haven't experienced the mercy of Jesus Christ, of a God who loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I have to bring up Pastor James today because he's. I think I just woke him up. How are you doing, Pastor? <laughs> I got to bring him up because he's he's one of those few that, that that can actually say in his testimony that one of the things that brought him to Jesus Christ was the fear of not being a part of the rapture of the church when it would happen. By not knowing Jesus. That's, that's quite a testimony for me. That you could hear, you know, back in those days we had 33 and a third records. And, and I think he had a 33 and a third record that somebody lent him or gave him. And, and it had the story of the rapture on it. And, and, you know, it was kind of dr- in a dramatic sense. And he was like, my willing, they're going to, boom, they're going to leave. Uh, and, and he just said, i got to come to Jesus. You know, I mean, he didn't say it in those words. But, but that's the idea here. There was fear. Why? Because finally our eyes are open to the fear of the Lord. And not just to the fear of this world. More 
importantly, the fear of the Lord. There are things that we take too lightly when we see them happening in the world today. That, that's why I don't, I don't really believe those people who today think, and I saw, I saw the videos this week on, um, I guess it was YouTube, uh, some videos that uh, this, this person said, we are living Ch- uh, uh, Romans, I'm uh, sorry, Revelation 9 today. I'm going, really? So I thought, I better look at it. You know, look at this video. And, and, you know, it had this real dramatic music. And, and then, it, you know, it was, it was going by every verse uh, of, of, of the first, uh, you know, first 12 verses of, of chapter 9. And, and uh, you know, then they would say, they would put a caption on there. Well, this is, you know, the, this is the locust, you know. And it's not just these animals, you know. But, but they had this impression of, of, of the locusts actually being these helicopters going into war. And, you know, we used to think, we used to believe, you know, back years ago. Well, you know, how do we, how, how would John see tanks and how do we he see the airplanes and stuff if there's a, if this uh, uh, Armageddon and war is going on and all these other things, you know? Well, we'd probably think, well, maybe that's, the, you know, these, these locusts, I mean, those helicopters look, and you look at them and say, well, yeah, that kind of look like a locust, you know? And, and it says they have a face of a man, so they show you the front of the helicopter and it's like, it's got two windows, like eyes, you know? So maybe it's like a face of a man. And I kept thinking, yeah, but, you know, it's going to be worse than that. We're not there yet. And then they started talking about smoke rising up. You know, we talked about the smoke coming out from the bottomless pit and all of that. And they, and they started showing the, the videos of back at, after uh, 2003 when we, we went into uh, uh, Iraq and, and all. And, and uh, I think they even go back to the first uh, Iraq war. I mean, the what do you call it? The Gulf War? And... Uh, uh, when the, the fields were they, were, they were lighting up the, the oil fields, right? Uh, Fred, you know, he was there. Uh, they were lighting up the oil fields and, and all of that. So they were showing those pictures. And, and it looks, you know, with the music and on the, ta- the caption, it looks, wow, you know, the, the flames and the stuff for the bottomless pit. And I thought, yeah, but you know what? They're not burning like that anymore. So we're not there today. We're not there today. I think, you know, I think they're trying to get people to really understand, you know, where we're at in prophecy, but we're not there yet. I'll tell you why. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself with my nose, so, and I'm looking at the time. Uh, I, I guess I could be here till 9.30. Can anybody wait? Okay, so here, here's the thing. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is when we experienced 9-11 in 2001, I mean, it woke up this nation. And everybody went, it seemed like the churches just started filling up again. And in 2001, we were still in our little white building up here in front, you know, before we built this facility. And uh, I, I couldn't believe how many people started coming to church again, you know. And, oh, we've got to be in church. You know, okay, well, praise the Lord. And then, you know, you, you, you look at the news and they would say, well, look at all these people. They got that God bless America all over the place, man. It was in everything. And, you know, in every business, they put God bless America signs and American flags flying here and flying there, you know, for weeks and even months. And, and they had God bless America in front of bars and in front of nightclubs and in front of strip joints. Honestly, God bless America. Everybody was a Christian now. Then what happened? 
and went back to quote-unquote normal. Where's everybody? They got comfortable. They got comfortable again. We decided that uh, the TSA at the airport, you know, they're just a brief distraction and a brief, uh, you know. We can get by, okay. We can do what they say. There's my three ounces of liquid and this and that. We can't stand it, but we do it. And we just go on. But we fail to see that it was a wake-up call. Where are people today? For the most part, far from God. For the most part, far from God. Let's get back to where we were here. I'm going to try to do as much as I can. But even Jesus himself, Jesus himself points out the ultimately dangerous deceptiveness of the devil when he states to his detractors in John chapter 8, verse 44, he said to them, and by the way, these were religious leaders, some of them, most of them. He said to them, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Where was that? Genesis 3. He was a murderer from the beginning. What did God tell the, uh, the man and the woman? On the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden of good and evil, you will surely die. And what did uh, Satan do as, as the serpent? He tells him, you won't die. Eat. You'll be like him. And they ate of the fruit and they died. So he says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Have you ever just studied that phrase? There is no truth in Satan. Now what does Satan do? He uses bits of truth to deceive. Bits of truth. But the truth is not in him. It is not a part of him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. The father of lies, Satan. So it is no wonder that the majority of the secular humanistic world has been duped into believing the lie and forming, manufacturing, and executing the great philosophical counterattacks against true Judeo-Christianity, against Jesus Christ, against the God of creation, while never realizing, never realizing that the silent partner in their endeavors is the very devil that hates them and hates them all and seeks to destroy them completely. Every person that argues with you about Jesus and argues with you about the Word of God and says they are atheists or they're agnostics, and I've never understood agnosticism, both the word agnosticism and the, the, uh, the philosophy behind all of that of just saying, I don't have enough evidence, I don't know. And agnosticism, the word agnostic comes, uh, uh, is tied into, a, that's, that's the Greek word, the the, the Latin word is actually ignoramus, or something similar to it. 
So I don't know why you'd want to be called an ignoramus, you know. I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Ridiculous, isn't it? But that's a philosophy of the... In college and universities today, if they're not atheists, they're agnostics. And they get degrees for being that. And a lot of money, too. Wow, we're in the wrong business. I want to be an ignorant person, too. I want to get money. But here's the thing. The devil hates them. He doesn't love them. See, the devil does everything he can because all he wants to do is say, I'm not really in the picture. I don't really exist. That's really what the devil does. You don't know all these devil followers and devil worshipers and Satan worshipers and all of these guys? The devil laughs at that. He cares more about deceiving people that he would like for them to believe he doesn't even exist. And if he doesn't exist, then God doesn't exist. And if God doesn't exist, then heaven doesn't exist. And if Satan doesn't exist, then hell doesn't exist. And then somehow we can try to bring about nirvana or a utopia on our own. Has it worked yet, folks? No, we're not even getting close. Doesn't get close. Now, that idea, and, and again, I'm driving this home to you not because I'm uh, just trying to set up these battles against so-called Christians. They're hurting themselves by not believing the truth. But all of this would also include the many in the visible church, Christendom, which is what it's called, the visible church where everybody, you know, on news sources today, if you go to CNN or MSNBC or CNBC or, or Fox or any, you know, what they say is Christianity, they always go to the Catholic church. They always show you the Vatican and they show you the Pope and all of that. And that's Christianity to them. That's not Christianity, folks. We can sit here and we can spend three hours, three hours, three hours, Maybe I ought to join the ignoramuses. Three hours talking about just the errors in liturgical, religious, ceremonial type religions. It's not Christian. It's not Christianity. But it would include the many in the visible church even today, a large percentage of Methodists, a large percentage of uh, Presbyterians, a large percentage of Lutherans, a large, uh, somewhat growing percentage, growing percentage of Baptists have become, quote-unquote, moderates. They're moderate. You know, we're kind of moderate about this and that. We can accept this and we can accept that. We can think about accepting this. How about accepting God's Word for what it is? The truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. And sometimes the truth really, you know, challenges us. But you know what? The truth is truth. So it includes many in the visible church that have become apostate false teachers proclaiming a so-called gospel having a form of godliness coming from 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
but denying its power. Denying its power. I see groups of people today that support the uh, same-sex marriage thing, and, and some of them are wearing clerical collars, and they're wearing robes and all kinds of stuff. Den- a form of godliness, but denying its power. And as I said earlier, these are some of the people that go up into God and they say, look, you don't have it right, God. We've got it right. Just kind of accept the way we believe and the way we want to live. And we'll believe you then. When do we bargain with God? I mean, did not God give us life and breath? Did He not give us His love and mercy? Did He not give us a way to live our lives in such a way that we'll honor and bless Him and, and, and bring others to the joy of salvation through Jesus Christ? And, and doing everything if we do everything right, because obedience is a great part of how we're supposed to live as believers, aren't we? I mean, isn't obedience to be a, a hallmark of a believer in Jesus Christ? But if we, choose to, if we choose to say, well, you know, I don't believe in that or I don't believe in this, but, but you know, it, it, it comes from a, a... You know, they start blaming the interpreters. Well, you, maybe you better study more. Because God knows what He's saying. God never contradicts Himself. God's Word will not contradict itself. It will always say what it means and mean what, means what it says. It is the truth. This is why we take the time to go over one thing at a time, one verse at a time sometimes. We haven't even gotten to the verse yet. That's okay, we'll get to it. I think we need to understand these things. All the sins that led, listen, all the sins that led to Satan's demise, I I call it the demise, I know demise means to be, you know, to death, but but he's going to die. I mean, he's going to die completely in the lake of fire. I mean... How God's going to deal with an eternal punishment for him, I mean, it is going to be eternal. It's God's thing, and I'm going to give it to the Lord to do. But all the sins that led to Satan's demise have been adopted by an unsuspecting and gullible world. All the things that led to Satan's demise. You know what's at the top of the list? Pride. Pride. Arrogance. Envy. Covetousness. Jealousy, selfishness, being hateful, being headstrong. You can't see it on that one. Headstrong. Where is it? There it is. Being headstrong. You know, guy is Unforgiving. Blasphemous. Ungrateful. And rebellious. These are all the sins. And, by the way, that's just to mention a few. Okay? That's just mentioning a few. Of the devil's sins that have been adopted by an unsuspecting and gullible world. The one who is called the highest of all angels, Ezekiel 28, verse 12, Son of Man, Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and beauty. Now, 
you have to understand the prophetic connection between the king of Tyre and, and, and the enemy here, but we'll, I don't want to spend any more time than I need to on that. So it's, it's speaking of the devil or Satan or Lucifer, as it were. We'll get to that in a moment. Ezekiel 28, verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Therefore, there, there is the, the, the picture of the cherub who covers. What does it mean, who covers? Uh, it, it's considered that, it, that he, was one, uh, he was one that covered the bema seat or the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, they had the two angels in gold that were above. Uh, and, but that was, that was just symbolic of the ones that were actually to guard. Uh, the, to cover means to guard and to protect and to defend. So, this is what he was called, the, the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones, which means that how, you, you know, that, that picture of heaven and, and all that, that, that exists in heaven is actually the, the reality of all that is, is made on earth. You know, the tabernacle and the temple. The real one is in heaven. And he walked in the, in the place where the stones were, were, were burning. In other words, they were used you know, in the altars you know, for the fire and all of that. And then we know Isaiah 14, which it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. There's, there's the key to get us back to verse 1 in just a day or two. Uh, how you're fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who, wake, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. How many eyes were there? How many I wills? Five of them. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne, I will sit on the mount of the congregation, I will ascend above the, cloud, the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. No matter how great this being appears, he and his minions were not eternal beings like God. They were created beings. And may I go back to Ezekiel to point this out in verse 15 of the same chapter, Ezekiel 28. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Satan was a created being till iniquity was found in you, till sin was found in you. It is important to point out that all angelic principalities and powers have been created to serve as ministering spirits, not only to serve their creator, but especially those created in the image of God. Hebrews 1.14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? It says, Are they not all ministering spirits? All of those created beings were created with that particular purpose. They were to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Those who will inherit salvation, some of them are in this room tonight. I would hope all that are in this room are inheriting salvation. And they were created to serve us. And when you consider the distinctions between the angelic beings and mankind, there's some distinctions here. For example, the angels being uh, uh, the angels were created before man. Most of us should realize that. 
Some people believe that the angels were actually created sometime maybe in the first couple of days of, of creation. We don't know, but they were around then. But the angels were created before man. Man followed them. Created in the image of God with the ability to reproduce his own kind. Were the angels? No. The angels were innumerable in a sense. Innumerable in a sense. Yet theirs was a fixed number and finite. In other words, when God created the angels, he created all the angels that he wanted. They would not reproduce. He wouldn't say, well, I've had enough. You know, it's like the, the U.S. Mint. You know, they make so much money and then when all that goes out, then they have to make more money. No, when God created the angels, he just created them one time. Just, you know, there's a fixed number and a fixed finite number. Whereas there is no sort of limitation put on man. Why? Because he would truly reproduce. Man would reproduce beyond the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. This was a blessing by God given to man. Is it any wonder why Satan and his host would rebel, not being content with their exalted position for which they had been created? And by the way, that's really only a third of the, of the angels of heaven. Satan himself wanted to be exalted above the stars of God. Verse 13 of Isaiah 14. He wanted to be exalted above the stars of God. He wanted to be like the Most High in verse 14. As we've already seen. And by the way, the term stars ties us to our text as we shall see in a moment. Hopefully. Well, maybe not. But we shall see soon. We shall see soon. But the, the term stars ties us to our text. And it's frequently used synonymous with angels in the scriptures. Job 38 verses 6 and 7. And, and both verses are up here. It says, to what were the foundations fastened? Now, remember that God is speaking to Job. And he finally says, listen, Job, you listen to me. You stop talking, you listen to me. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? All right, now this is when he says, to what were its foundations fastened? In other words, the earth. Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? Now, when do stars, physical entities in the sky, sing? Or is it symbolic of angels? Yes. When the morning stars sang together, and we know it because of the next phrase, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Well, in the first two chapters of the book of Job, we are told that the sons of God got together and Satan came along. So the implication is that these were angels or angelic beings. So Satan still wanted a higher throne. And he was able to rouse this third of the angelic host to rebel with him. And we know that, and we'll, we'll study it more in detail later in Revelation chapters, uh, chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, where it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his, head, uh, on his heads. His tail uh, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Stars in heaven. He drew the stars in heaven being a third of the angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. <laughs> Speaking of Jesus. The woman being Israel. Okay. And how much does uh, Satan hate Israel? A whole lot. Just as much as he hates Jesus. And of course we know that Satan and his entire host could not prevail against the Creator. And they were uh, therefore cast to the earth to test the, uh, the man that was created in the image of God. I mean, they could, have, they could have been put on Jupiter or whatever, you know. Why the earth? We could certainly ask why, but 
would any answer satisfy us? Suffice it to say that there are certain things that wholly belong to the Lord and they belong to His sovereign wisdom and I couldn't answer. But I do know this. In Deuteronomy 29, 29 it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Will you give me five more minutes? Even after the promise of his demise is declared and the instrument by which he would meet his defeat, which of course is Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity, God says to the, to the serpent, which is Satan, I will put enmity, hostility, between you and the woman. The woman, eventually, when you read Revelation 12, of course, is Israel. But being the seed of the woman, at that time, of course, Eve, who was the mother of all beings, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, singular, her seed being Jesus. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So even after this warning by God to Satan, Satan continues bitterly and incessantly to torment, to destroy every last human being, and he would do it if God allowed it. He would destroy every human if God allowed it. But praise God, God's not going to allow it. But we know this because of John 10.10. We know what Jesus said and makes it very clear. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Stop there and just think. Does Jesus nail Satan down? Doesn't he nail him down? In John 8:44, what we read earlier, he's a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And he does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, that's his nature, that's his character, that is what has been fed into the minds and hearts of all unbelievers in this earth. And folks, we have to have discernment because we've got to love these people, and hopefully we can love them to Jesus Christ. And some of us here can have, probably have a testimony, I was there, I didn't believe in God, I didn't believe in anything, but somehow God opened my eyes and on my heart, and here I am today. Is that your testimony? Could you say that's your testimony today? We just have a lot of sweet people here. Never, you know. No, no, we were all sinners. It is our testimony. We didn't know that at the time. We didn't know we were following Satan. But that's what we were doing. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they have it, may have it more abundantly. So Satan is still permitted only so much latitude to buffet men, possess and attempt to destroy men. And Satan still goes forth as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. All of that within the constraints and restraint of the great restrainer who is the Holy Spirit. And thank the Lord that he in mercy again and again gives grace for healing and protection against Satan's devices even while the enemy's hatred for man intensifies more and more. And I think I may need to leave you with this last thought.
And it's right before we come to the first verse of this passage. But I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. And we'll close with this. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4. John said, Beloved, and remember this is the same John who is given the revelation, the, the vision of the revelation. This is before that. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Which God? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Creator God, the God who created all things. The God who created the heavens and the earth. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now you might think, well, wait a minute, most people know that Jesus was here. But the key word in that statement is the word Christ. Because that is Messiah. Messiah, the seed of the woman. The anointed one. The Mashiach. See, we sometimes miss this. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus, Mashiach, the Christ, the Redeemer, the Anointed One, has come in the flesh. You could say that Jesus came, but He's not the Messiah. The Jews have totally been duped on that. And even Jesus has said it, and the apostles have said it. John said it in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 3, and every... Uh, where am I? Whoops. Verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Now, there's, there's a distinction, right? You're either of God, who believes that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came in the flesh, or you don't believe. There's nothing in the middle. Satan keeps wanting to get people to believe that there's a big middle. And it doesn't matter what you believe, but it does matter. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist. And the person of Jesus Christ. Who is he? He is who he says he was. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. Aren't you glad for that? All right. Well, praise the Lord. Yes. They, going back to the contrast, they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We don't hear them. We discern them, but we don't hear them. We are of God. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. All right. 
Now we get to verse 1. Not tonight. I wanted to establish really the person of verse 1. The star fallen from heaven. Have we established that, I hope? It's really important that we do. Because you see, when you go into the rest of the chapter and you begin to realize that he's given a key, it just means he's allowed to bring forth some of these judgments that come not from heaven, but from hell. So may I say to you, when something is called a woe, it's serious business. We need to get serious about Jesus. We need to get serious about telling people about Jesus. We need to be serious about exhorting one another as we see the day approaching. We've talked about that, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another as we see the day of Christ approaching. Because you see, when Christ approaches, He comes for us. He takes us out of the way. Because all hell, folks, all hell is going to break loose. That's what this chapter is opening us up to here. That's how serious it is. And it's going to affect all on earth. The ones who are protected are the ones with a seal, the 144,000, and all the believers who come. God will seal them. We'll talk about that later. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we're, we're blessed and thankful for you know, the privilege of, of coming now, Lord, to your word and